Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, and welcome. This is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father John and my good friend Joe Doman here. Hi. With you. Welcome back. But we watched, uh, we did Batman Trilogy last week. Uh, Batman Begins, Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thursday we did The Dark Knight, and then Friday we saw the new one. And uh, bef- it was amazing. Be- and that might have been the first time I watched three movies three nights in a row in yeah. maybe like ten years. That was, was more awesome. mo- that was more movies than I've watched all year. Yeah, but we do need to say, you know, um, as you listen to this, please pray for uh, the victims of the shooting in Colorado, Aurora, Colorado. I have students uh, who have friends who are at the theater, so this is kind of a real thing. So, anyways, please, uh, you know, we got to mention that. Please pray for that. Yeah. Uh, now that'll be a couple weeks out by the time you hear this. But um, Nathan. Goble is going to be doing a podcast on Batman next week, and uh, so get ready for so that. So buckle up. So buckle up. It's Nathan Goble at his finest. Um, Dark but that Nathan was just rises. A, that was just a little introduction of uh, a Batman. We've all been wanting to do his voice for the uh, podcast, but we, you'd probably find that extremely annoying. Do I look like a cop? <laughs> okay, so. So we're still here in Fair Play, Colorado. Beautiful place. I have to say, too, Aspen Trees, for those of you who aren't from Colorado, I'm from Philadelphia, and I'd never seen an Aspen Tree until I moved here. But they're one of my favorite trees in the world. This whole house we're at is surrounded, surrounded by, by aspen aspens. groves, yep. uh, which I don't know if you knew this, but is the biggest organism on the planet. Yeah. I, I just heard uh, that from Peter Polito, who gets two shout-outs in a row Oh, now. my gosh. No more you're going to get his head big. <sighs> I know. Gosh. Yeah, He's our, really not that great of a guy. He's kind our of friend Mike Humbo was asking his sister, who will rename Nameless, uh, our, our producer, he said, hey, uh, what's the biggest organism on the planet? Hint, you're looking at it. And she goes, um, a cloud? <laughs> No, that's not an organism. So nice. Mike Hombo knows. It's aspens. So we're surrounded by a huge organism. That's kind of weird. Yeah, that's right. But that's not our topic. That is not our topic. Our topic today, I kind of feel like I'm treading into deep waters here because I am not an econ- economist. John reads The Economist. Father I do, John does. I do read The Economist. But I don't think he's one either. I took micro and macroeconomics in college, which I remember almost zero about Excellent. from my semester as an accounting major, which was a big mistake. And uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna foray into the the darkness of economics here for a little bit to talk about Catholic economics, if you can even talk about such a thing. Well, or at least um, Catholic principles applied in the economics. Uh, I don't Whoa, know, world. Sounds very impressive. <laughs> oh, yes, Whoa, right. Well, hopefully someone who is listening to this actually is an economist and they can And they can us. email us and, and tell us how little we know. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's begin with our nonsense then. All right. So the topic for this is called distributism. Distributism. And distributism is kind of a an interesting word because I've talked to different people and it seems like a lot of people uh, don't really know what it means or think they do, but like I've done research on it a little bit and... Uh, the stuff I've researched, it seems very different than the stuff I've learned in, uh. in philosophy. Uh, and so it makes me think that there's kind of an identity crisis with what is distributism? What does it look like? Uh, I know a brief history, I guess, of how it came to be about. So I'll just give you what I, what my understanding is, um, because I love it. I'm, I'm not a distributist, per se. I don't even know if one can exist. Um, but uh, I do love love what it's trying to do, I think. Excellent. Uh, so basically... Um, there are the, the church will never give kind of an economic system and say this system of economics is is the right one or this is on you know like the church is not going to you know endorse capitalism or as much as republicans might want it to or endorse communism or something or socialism right, right. um what the church does do is offer principles and be a moral voice in the world so when it comes to and the church has spoken uh both positively and negatively 
uh, or not positively, but has has highlighted the the good things about various economic systems and the negative and the dangers and the pitfalls of them. And so, that, for instance, for communism, one of the one of the at least good intentions is concern for the poor, concern for the lower, the, the weakest of society, which is a beautiful thing. The problem is is that it it throws aside concern for the the rights of the human person, private property, things that are necessary in this world. Uh, and in the same way, capitalism, which is which I, it makes it easier to be more virtuous, I think, in general, to have a, a capitalistic economics. Uh, but at the same time, the danger of capitalism uh, is that it can lead to greed and consumerism and, and materialism uh, and kind of neglect of the poor or neglect of the person. So, so basically, unbridled capitalism is too radically individualistic and communism is too radically social in the sense that the individual is lost. And the social good is lost. Exactly. What I find being in Boulder, Colorado is like you get pinned into these political or economic parties. You, mm. know, you must be a capitalist and Republican if you're Catholic because that's just who you are. And it's just like, no, the problem is nobody in our culture can think on the level of philosophical principles. Nobody can speak on principles. Mm. And the church is always kind of laying out these principles. And to the extent that a party or an economic system is in accord with that is the extent that we can say it's authentically Catholic. But... Uh, it's just it's just a frustrating thing. There's my little vent. So no, it's, it is frustrating because you know we think okay, Republicans pro choice or pro life, you know, so Catholics are pro life, and so because we're Catholics, we're pro life, and we're Republican, and do we just buy everything else the Republican Party says? Well, not necessarily. And I don't want to get into politics here, um, but right, there, 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 course. there is a way that we that we can kind of say okay because the life issue is so important and so crucial and so fundamentally flawed if it's off uh, that a lot of Catholics, or at least conservative Catholics and Orthodox Catholics will support uh, Republicans, but the danger is to buy into everything they say. And, right. and unbridled capitalism has its dangers. And we just kind of need to be honest uh, about how we look at these things. So getting us back on, on Back on track. Distributism. Distributism. So what, distrib- well, what the church has done before we even hit distributism is the church hasn't given... Uh, a system, an economic system to implement or anything. But the church has emphasized that there are certain principles that need to be paid attention to, that need to be taken into account. And the two main principles, John? Uh, sorry, I was looking social, for email. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> You're not paying attention. What sorry. Do you, you, always, you, always, you always get on my case for not paying attention. Uh, that's true, and I actually was not that you busted me. All right, so the, the, what two, are the, princi- the two principles... Uh, for Catholic social teaching, uh, didn't a human person? They both start ago? with S. <laughs> uh, solidarity, solidarity, and, and subsidiarity. subsidiarity. Why are those the only the two? There's like ten. Well, I mean, when it comes to distributism, this is, uh, these are the two. Oh, that was a trick question. All right, fine, whatever. Okay. I'm so, what, what, what is solidarity? My, back to Facebook on my iPhone. <laughs> whatever. Just G- joking. <laughs> give it to me. What's what's solidarity about? Solidarity is about recognizing uh, the dignity of others and the need to uh, collaborate for the common good, so to speak. That's working true. in collaboration. Yeah, it's it's to be. To be uh, one and to identify your own good with the good of your neighbor. Got it. Uh, to be to be in solidarity with those who are in you know trouble situations who are uh, suffering is to kind of see their suffering as a suffering of your own and right. to do something about it. You know to care about it to not be so individualistic that you can't see outside of your own walls. Right. Solidarity is being in, in union with the other, especially those who are suffering. Which is the name of the Polish movement that John Paul II inspired mm-hmm. and Lech Walesa ran in the early 80s that essentially well, how, what did you, how did you pronounce his name? Lech Walesa. Isn't that right? I think it's Wawenza. Oh, whatever. 
You I don't, don't speak Polish. I don't. That's true. Neither do I, obviously. But I read Witness to Hope, and it has a great pronunciation index I, in the yeah. front. Okay. You're impressive. <laughs> I know, aren't I? Right. Okay, so solidarity is one thing. Uh, subsidiarity. What's subsidiarity about? Subsidiarity means that um, for governance, the best possible governance has it at the lowest level. So like the, the federal government should not be regulating my, you know, my cousin's sports team in Littleton, Colorado or something like that. Right. Right. That the lowest level uh, in terms of governments. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. At the lowest. I'm getting, I've been a priest for a year. I'm forgetting everything. That's so. right. Authority uh, should govern things at the lowest, at the, at the most localized level as possible. Right. That doesn't mean the federal government is, is useless because there are certain things that can't be right. governed by a very local level. Like for instance, the easiest example is war. Right. You know, I, I can't say, you know, my, you know, the mayor of my town is responsible for if our town's going to go to war or not. Right. You know, because when it comes to war, which is a horrible thing, um, but is necessary evil in this world, um, th- there is a, nece- a necessity for the uh, whole uh, state to get involved and to make decisions on a, on a more federal level. But for instance, like um, the, a more extreme example for how that could be messed up is the federal government shouldn't be deciding, you know, uh, you know how you educate your children. Right. Uh, there are certain things at the lowest level possible. Uh, things should be governed, and authority should be implemented at the lowest level, the most localized level possible. And so, I would, I think that that is one of the most. Uh, I think the United States is one of the countries with the greatest capacity for that because uh-huh. of the federal state distinction. Uh, but we are moving away from that radically. This right. is one of the principles that is gone, and we're seeing that with. Uh, all kinds of dimensions, but the healthcare reform is one of the biggest ones. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get us off topic again, but you're seeing a rejection of subsidiarity. Right. It's, it's everything is being localized into everything's going to DC. Right. And a subsidiary sounds like kind of an arbitrary thing. Like, why does that matter? But at the heart of it is concern for the human person. The, the person who lives next door to me or taking care of the poor who are homeless on my street is not the responsibility of somebody in Washington, D.C. Right. I can, it's my responsibility. I, I, exactly. And I need to do that because mm-hmm. I'm more immediate to it. Yeah. And, and just and practically speaking, people who are more immediate to them can see the situation clearly. Right. And it's interesting that individuals can think, can reason well, can make good choices, and can be responsible um, more so than somebody who has no idea of the of the details of the situation of the persons involved so it's always better for uh local for people to be relating to each other in these in these kind of relationships as far as authority as much as possible as much as possible and it's not just about governance it's also just about uh you know commerce i mean this is why we're talking about economics right uh so anyway these are the two principles solidarity subsidiarity uh, so the church kind of gives these. They don't give an economic system, but they offer these principles, right? And so the church relies on lay Catholics in the world who are in economics, who are philosophers, who are thinkers, to take these principles and do something with right, them, you know, right, to apply them. So right. a couple guys, G.K. Chesterton and Hilaire Belloc, Hilaire Belloc uh, took these principles and said, okay, well, if if there was a, a way of doing commerce, of doing economics that uh, was consistent with these principles that the church says are really important what would that look like and so they they wrote a lot about this and the term they, they what they labeled that as is distributist now tell uh just give a context time when were for people who don't know chesterton belloc when, oh, were, they, sure. this when is, were they living where this were they is living england early 20th century right so these are two great thinkers which is significant because why communism's on the rise ah and unbridled cap- capitalism is like raging in uh, England late mm-hmm. you know industrial revolution late 18 or 1800s and 
what they're responding to, what Belloc and Chesterton, who are two Catholic, uh, I guess Belloc grew up Catholic, but Chesterton's a convert. Both great writers. If you haven't read these guys, you yeah, get, they're so they fun to read. Dig into their work; they're amazing. But they uh, they're responding to Rerum Novarum by Leo Leo Thirteenth Leo Thirteenth, which was in eighteen yeah, yeah mm-hmm. late eighteen. <laughs> An encyclical was written that essentially began the modern expression of Catholic social teaching. So these economic principles we're talking about right. being laid out. Right. And and before we go on too, like some people might be thinking, why is the church saying anything about economics? Why is the church saying anything about social teaching? I mean, like, shouldn't they just leave this to people who know what they're talking about? You know, these these old celibate guys in Rome, why are they talking about this? And the thing to keep in mind is that everything we do, especially economics and commerce, deals with our neighbor, deals with the human person. And anywhere where man is involved the church has something to say because the church's greatest concern is man and man's relationship with God and relationship with his neighbor. And and what what way do we encounter our neighbor more, uh, and especially in, in a place where we have as much money as in America, right. than in how we do business and how right. we do economics. And economic is a very Catholic word. It comes from oikonomia in the Greek, ah, which is oikos and nomos, which is nomos. Nomos name? No, the nomos, law. law. Law of the Oikos, house. the law of the house. So yeah. seeing kind of civilization as this kind of household of God that's being established uh, and the law, and the order, the structure by which mm. it exists. The order of the house. Yeah, so people who say, get out of the economic world, get out of the political world, it's like, you're crazy, you're crazy. Uh, to be Catholic means to be radically uh, in the world. Right? Uh-huh. And it's and, always been that way. And of to God's, allow God's order to permeate every element of our lives. Exactly. And it's, it's crucial. So what is distributism? What's it about? Um and my understanding of this is this, is that Belloc and Chesterton took these principles of subsidiarity and solidarity and said, what would this look like if this was lived out? And, uh, oh gosh, I should have done this a little more research, I guess. But no, the things that they concerned... No, we don't know, we, do That's not what we're about, I guess, right? Seriously. Um, but the things that they kind of highlighted the most and the danger that they saw that was against this, they saw the importance of private property and the importance of per- people who have... Okay, so one of the goods of communism, I remember reading uh, Marx and being like, actually, you know what, I really kind of, this resonates with me a little bit. And one of his Marx's concerns was that in capitalism, uh, the the individual is is alienated from his work. For instance, if I work, you know, on an assembly line, you know, back in the day, Joseph, you know, the father of Jesus, his work was his livelihood. You know, he got the wood, he, you know, was a carpenter, he made it. It was his, it was, an ex- it was his creative expression that he kind of offered to his community in exchange for other goods. Uh, but it was an expression of himself. But for so the guy who's working in a factory, you know, he doesn't have any ownership over his, the product he's making. He's right. alienated from what he's doing. He's just kind of a, a cog in the wheel, a functionary. Um, and Marx said, this is, there's something wrong with this. A man should be, should be, uh, should not be alienated from what he's doing from the work of his hands, you know? And this is a problem he saw, which is ironic because communism didn't get rid of factories. Right, or anything. right, right. But, um, but that was one of his concerns. Um, so one of the things distributors is big about is is um, private ownership over goods, and is really down on the big shop, on the on the kind of catchalls and the factories where factories need to be. You know, uh, you can't have some guy back in his in his garage making cars. You know, just for his neighbors. You know, there's some th- things we need factories for. But when it comes to things where um, you know, like a a restaurant or something like that, where you don't need to have a chain, you can have uh, smaller shops or right. carpentry or little things where people can do. Um, there was a good in a person being not alienated from his work, but having his work be a creative expression of himself. Right. Um, and the the beauty of it is, so Chesterton wrote an article, I think it was called like 
boycotting the big shops or something like that. And his whole concern in this was that uh, when you shop at not to well not to pick on Walmart, but that's what I'm going to do. When you go to Walmart and you buy some furniture from Walmart or IKEA or something like that, um, you know it'll be it'll be a little cheaper. Right. It'll be easier to make because there's big factories. You know, it's more convenient. You can get it's more convenient there. for you. You can get everything you want. Right. Um, but the money that you're giving is not going to somebody in your community. Right. The money you're giving is is going to a, a huge capitalistic structure. It's going to IKEA somewhere in, you know, where is IKEA from Sweden or something? Uh, something like that. Like that yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, or it's going to Sam Walton ultimately, you know. So one of the concerns of distributism is using your money in such a way that the money is helping actually the people in your immediate community. Right, it's right. concerned for the people around you. This is the whole principle of subsidiarity at a local level as much as possible, trying to influence solidarity, being concerned with the person who's around you. It's because the problem with capitalism is that it's so focused on how can I get something for cheapest? That's, you know, it might not be the best quality, but it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be more convenient. It's a little a one shop. I can get my groceries, my food, my clothes, my furniture. Um, the emphasis is always on me. And we, we uh, combine individuality with how we do, how we use our money and stuff like that. And uh, this concern with distributing is letting the, the, letting business be personal again, right? Letting the person be involved. So when you're doing business, you can actually be like, where's my money going? Who can I support in this? Right. And also receive something that I need for my sustenance. Uh, so that's one concern. So let's take an example. Yes. Dr. Terry Wright. Uh, yes, he's my he's my teacher on this He's subject. our teacher, and uh, he's probably listening to this co- uh, podcast horrified. Horrified, absolutely. But uh, I remember one time he said to me, he said, you know, I'll drive a couple extra miles to go to a kind of mom-and-pop grocery store instead of King Supers, which is just right down the street. That's like our local mm-hmm. huge one if you're in. Chicago, it's Dominic's, Safeways everywhere. Kroger's. Kroger's, but he goes... Uh, Gennardi's, if you're from the East Coast. Is that Philly? Uh, yeah. I never even heard of that. Okay. The uh, But he'll, he'll specifically go to that mom and pop shop. And I, I remember working in a place like this, and uh, the relationships that were formed were just crazy. You know, mm-hmm. People loved this guy, Phil. Phil ran Breakaway Sports. And it was at, at the time, it was just a mom and pop shop. But everybody knew Phil. Everybody loved Phil. Phil knew the kids. He knew the families. He knew everybody was coming in to buy their hockey gear. And uh, there's something about that that just is... Uh, it re- recovers relationships and establishes kind of personal connections in the in the world of commerce and business, which is completely lost. Absolutely, because you're you're interacting with somebody who's actually has an investment in what they're selling. This exactly. is like this is part. Of, I mean, anybody who owns a business or runs a business, like their business isn't just like you know something they do. It's like part of who they are. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when you support that, you're actually encountering them, and it's right. beautiful. That's like yeah. that's something we've lost. I mean, there's been a lot of goods of the industrial revolution and a lot of ways that it's actually helped society. But one of the great things that has been lost is this personal encounter, allowing the business world to be an encounter of persons instead and, of just encounter with a person with a good that they're after. And even being an employee of a place like that is radically different. Hmm. I walked into that breakaway sports uh, 10 years later and Phil recognized me immediately. Yeah. It was crazy. And I was like, who was I? I was just a punk high school kid who wanted a little uh, discount on hockey gear and his parents made me get a job. But uh, when you work for a, uh, something like that, you're known. If I would have worked at McDonald's ten years ago, it's like you know, who is this guy? He's just another person. But that's that's what we have to recover. Just that the profound dignity of the person, uh, that solidarity and subsidiarity actually um, foster, mm. and because uh, we're just being depersonalized by growing industry and technology. So. Actually, one of the greatest examples I've seen in this in my in my experience is a little. I don't know if you've been to this place, but it's a little cafe in Denver. It's on Colfax, about a mile east of the cathedral, and it's called Same Cafe. 
Have you heard same. of this? Same cafe. It's it's it stands, it's an acronym for So All May Eat. Oh, yeah. Have you been to this place? They don't, they don't need prices. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so it's this little place, and it's super distra- I mean, they're, uh, I've, I've, I've never met the people themselves. Dr. Wright, our teacher who we mentioned, uh, told me about this place, so I went there with a friend of mine. And uh, he said that the, there's a couple, I think, who, um, who probably don't listen to this podcast, but who uh, were, Guaranteed. were in, in the Catholic worker movement or something like that um, with Dorothy, Dorothy, Dorothy Day. Yeah. And, uh, but she, or they, uh, they started this cafe and they're, this is what they do. They, all their, um, their menu is really limited. You know, they have a few, they have different things every day, but it's all locally bought, you know, locally prepared. So it's all, you're, you're supporting the local farmers by going there. And there's no uh, prices on the menu. The menu, the, the prices are just whatever you can offer to support this place. That's great. So you go in there and it's just like, you know, I gave like, you know, I had like pizza and some soup. It was a good meal. Um, and, uh, and you know, I gave like 20 bucks because I'm like, hey, I want to support this place. Right. And what they do is that if they have homeless people who come in or people who can't afford it, um, they they pretty much just say. Just do dishes? Yeah, you know, you can have a meal, but, you know, you can do dishes if you want. You can do something to contribute. If you can't give money, you can give something else. That's awesome. But we're, we're, they want to support each other. They want to support the local community. Uh, so, they you know, they buy everything's organic. And they kind of cater to the whole, like, kind of hippie, hippie thing. Like, let's go organic completely. Totally. Um, but it's cool because they really do. That's their concern. It's, it's concern for the suffering, solidarity. And it's all local. They're not kind of – the money's not all going out to – the Sam Waltons of the world, but it's going to the people in our community. So it's this, this, this concern for the person in business. And it's a beautiful thing. And this is the thing I love most about distributism is that it's not a system. Yeah. It's not something you just impose from the top down. Like, it's not like I'm like, hey, let's do away with this whole capitalism thing and start doing distributism. You know, like we need to get some legislation passed that's going to change this. Right. No, it's not about that at all. Distributism, which is why I love it, is a choice of the individual. It's not something that can be opposed from the top down, but it comes down to how, how do you spend your money? How do you allow the gospel and the concern for the weak and the suffering to permeate how you spend your money? Um, and I'm not saying, you know, if you go to Ikea or Walmart, you're like, you know, immortal sin or something like that. But it's kind of something that you can, if you have, it, it's, it's going to be more expensive sometimes to buy locally, to buy, you know, local, a, a guy who makes, lo, you know, our friend uh, Eric Feltis who makes cabinets and yeah, pipes and stuff. Pipes. It's going to be a little more expensive, but you're going to get more quality. Right. Um, so if you can do it, uh, it's a beautiful way to allow the gospel to inform how you spend your money and how you seek after goods without just a concern just for your own life and your own family and your own world. But it's looking outside. How can, how can I influence my community positively? How can I encounter other people? But it takes intentionality because it's more difficult you're not going to be able to just, it's so much easier to just go to Walmart or Target. We, we or go to Starbucks, Starbucks instead of a local everywhere. place or go to McDonald's instead right. of like a diner right. that's locally owned. But it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful way to allow this to right. affect how you do everything as mundane as just, you know, get a cup of coffee. Nice dude. So I love distributism. I mean, I'm not about Passion. implementing another system, but as much uh, as I can, it's, I think it's good to, and, and Dr. Terry Wright, who our teacher again, he said the reason he thought it was important for us to know is because we're not going to have a lot of money personally to spend as priests, but we are going to have a lot of money to spend as pastors. Right. And how as, you know, we could be in charge of over a million dollars in some parishes that are pretty big. So how can we influence our community in a positive way uh, with that, with concern for the poor, with concern for the ones around us, with supporting the ones who are in our community uh, through how we spend our money? Budding economist Joe Doman. Thank yeah, you very much. Right. Good work, dude. So that's all I got. And as Father Mike used to say, if you like Catholic stuff, tell your friends. Hey, there you go. Tell your friends it's a good thing. All right. You going to say goodbye or something? All right, see ya. (laughs)